0: I told Brother Taft I'd go ahead and take care of the introduction this morning, so. Brother Wilson was saved when he was 11 years old from Bethel Baptist Church, Revento, Ohio. Anyways, but uh, very good. We took care of the introduction. Go take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 1 this morning. What a phenomenal song. Whew, that was good. That was good. Took me back the day I was saved. That was awesome. Appreciate that. Thank you for your hard work. And uh, man, that's a good trio. Miley, I miss hearing you sing up here. That's good stuff. Uh, yeah, I enjoy it. Very good. Well, I am going to go ahead and open my Bible to Isaiah chapter 1. And while you're turning to your Bible in Isaiah chapter 1, I need a little bit of a wardrobe change here for a second. Uh, now? All right. I've always wanted to preach in a pair of Vans and a Vans T-shirt, so we're gonna go ahead and take some liberty this morning. I, I did already check it out with Brother Mason. He said it was okay. He said I wasn't allowed to wear my flat-billed cap and, uh, and my long Vans shorts, but uh, he said I had to refrain from that. I almost came out like that, but I figured they'd escort me right back off the stage. So anyways, we're gonna do this. You all right? Brother Folky, do you know what Vans shoes are? No, I have no idea. I think we should invest in a pair of Vans for Brother Froelke. What do you all think? And a flat-billed hat that looks like this, all right, right on the side of his head. Hey, why don't you talk for a second while I put these? You'll see he's wearing the gray color, um, oh, never mind. Charcoal, I'm sorry. Charcoal color. It's a lot harder than I thought. Mr. 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 Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? Last night that, no, hold on. Whoa, Whoa. Come on. Come on. Every head out, every eye closed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so anybody skateboarding here? Anybody skateboard at all? I mean, really skateboard. I mean, you really, really skateboard. Somebody, somebody really skateboard? Raise your hand. I don't see it. All right, I might call you out, so you better be careful if you really say you can skateboard. If I were to wear this around, would you not think that maybe I had an affinity for skating, right? I mean, I got a Vans t-shirt on. pair of Van shoes. Can I tell you this is what I wore to junior high school like every day. I mean this was the attire man. I had a pair of Van shoes, pair of Van. I mean a Vans t-shirt. I I think I've had this Vans t-shirt for a while. This was it man when I was in junior high. And I want to take you to a quick passage of scripture and then I'll explain to you why I had to change some some of my clothing this morning. But in Isaiah chapter number one, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy the first chapter of Isaiah. I think my favorite's is Isaiah 6, when uh, Isaiah, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. But this passage right here convicts me as much as any passage in Scripture. When I read this passage, it deals right with the heart of who I am. When you jump down to, and and we'll actually skip half the passage here, but when you jump down, I need to pull up my notes here. When you jump down to Isaiah, and, uh, and when you go to about verse number 10, In the beginning of this passage, it says, verse number one, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning in Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. You skip to verse number 10. And in verse number 10, Isaiah says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offering of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or of he goats. When he came to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more... Uh, vain oblations, incense, and is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is uh, it, it is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I I am weary to bear them. When ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. The reason I wear this T-shirt and these shoes today is because this was my attire all through junior high, maybe even my freshman year in high school. I had the skateboard. I mean, I, I, was, I, was, I looked every bit of the skater. I was a skinny, tall kid and loved basketball, but, but this is the persona I wanted to build. You know what I'm talking about? But I was what you call a poser. Do you know what a poser is? You know what a poser is, right? I mean, I had the skateboard. I I had the nicest skateboard. And I would take that skateboard and I would rub the bottom of that skateboard on the curb so it looked like I knew what I was doing. I would take grip tape and I would grip tape the whole side the top. I mean, it looked like I knew what I was doing. When I carried that thing into school, I mean, it it was like, uh, he must be a skater, right? I never went to the skate park. We really didn't have skate parks back then. I, I never went to the skate park. I never went out with my buddies skating. As a matter of fact, I identified who the other posers were in school, and I dressed like them, and I acted like them, and when I would go over to their house, we would shut the garage door, and we would sit inside the garage practicing our tricks because we were so horrible. I mean, y'all know what an Ollie is. It's like the most basic move in skateboarding. I mean, it's just trying to jump, all right? I wiped out so bad on his garage floor, that I vowed never to step on a skateboard again. And that was my first year at junior high. I still carried the skateboard for two more years. I was a poser. I was a poser. I mean, I had the gear. I had the shoes. I mean, I've had a pair of Vans shoes, I think, my whole life. But I've had it. I, I, I had it all. But underneath, there was really not a skateboarder. In this passage of Scripture, I think the reason it convicts me so much is because I know as I look through Leviticus and Chronicles, I see God's commands in regard to what these children of Israel are doing. I mean, they are doing what they are called to do. You look at the burning of the incense and all of the traditional things that they're asked to do by God. They're doing them. And then God turns around, and he doesn't say, uh, you know, my children. There's no terms of affection or endearment. He calls them Sodom. He calls them Gomorrah. He says, uh, you know, all these things that you do in my name, he said this. You're about the worst people I could think of. I mean, when the worst comes to mind, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's you. I'm disgusted. I'm in the stench of the incense burning. Everything just irritates me. The time you take out for the new moons and the, all of these different things, these, these, these traditions that you hold to. I said, it makes me sick. I want to read you just a quick thing that I wrote this past week in regard to some people in our church, some people that are in my Sunday school class. and I've disguised the names. I've disguised the situations, but I think you'll get the point, and that is this. Barb's life is a mess. Her drinking problem is out of control. Her husband, Ken, refuses to cover for her anymore. Everyone around her sees Barb's problem, but, they're, but they all pretend like everything is just fine. Every Sunday, Barb and her family dress in their Sunday best and go to church as the perfect family. Everyone at church looks at Barb and her family as the model family. They look so, so perfect. Sitting in the row right behind Barb at church each Sunday morning is a guy by the name of Joe. Especially all the guys like him because he's a man's man. Joe played college football for a Big Ten school, and he's filled with stories of athletic conquest. But when Joe is all alone, his heart is filled with emptiness because of his inability to sustain long-term relationships. You see, his first marriage only lasted seven months. And over the years, he's driven away everyone closer to him with his short fuse but this Sunday when a friend asks Joe how things are going he quickly says great never been better. Joe and Barb have both learned that church is a place for plastic people a place for perfect people So Barb's become Barbie, complete with her husband, Ken, and her perfect plastic children. And Joe has become G.I. Joe, a plastic action hero that everyone admires, but no one really knows. But inside Barb and Joe, they're dying because they're not made of plastic. Churches throughout our culture today are filled with Barbies and Joes. We've learned that image is everything, that what counts is how you look, the impression you make. So we in the Christian community have perfected the fine art of faking we're posers. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And Father, I I, want to draw a lot of attention to this passage of Scripture, and I don't want to do it a disservice, Father. I feel the the Holy Spirit's conviction in my own life, especially in regard to this passage. And may I not be hypocritical in preaching by by saying something that you haven't already dealt with me. Father, we are so unworthy to be your children forgive us for constantly putting up a facade, a veneer that tells the world that we are worthy. Father, may you look inside the heart of every person here today. May you walk up and down the aisles. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do your will, have your way. May you point out the insufficiencies in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As Misty and I walked into the house that we most recently purchased about a year and a half ago, we walked into the house, and my wife said, oh, look, there's hardwood floors. She got all excited about the hardwood floors. But as soon as we stepped onto that hardwood floor, I said, you know, these really aren't hardwood floors. These are an imitation." They're a laminate. Now, as we've got two young boys, the hardwood floors and all that looked good in the beginning when we purchased the house quickly takes the wear and tear that a hardwood floor would not. If something is spilled and it gets between the cracks, there's a a little bubbling of the laminate surface that's on the top. You see, a, a laminate floor has the look, it has the appearance It has everything that you would want in a hardwood floor, except for the durability and the reliability. If you peeled back that first little layer of veneer, you'd find particle board and all the substances that you would never use in building materials because they're unreliable. But they're protected by a veneer. They're protected by a facade. And I would dare say that in the Christian life today and in my own life, I'm always convicted by passages of Scripture because when you go deeper into this passage, he's calling out the facade, the veneer, the posings of these uh, children of Israel. And he's saying, look, all the outward appearances point to the fact that you're my children, that you're obedient. But man, when we step down deep, there's something severely lacking when we peel off that veneer, when we look underneath of the van's t-shirt, when we get down into the substance of what we look for in a Christian, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. What God quickly looks to here in this passage of scripture is motive. When you skip down past the verses that I read, In verse number 15 it says, I will not hear, your hands are full of blood. Then he says in 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. He wasn't talking about the outward things that they were doing. He's talking about the motive that is associated with what they're doing. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. He's saying, look, do the things that ultimately identify you as my child, as my chosen people. Passage, verse number 18 says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I think there's three points I want to draw our attention to today as we talk about the poser Christian, as we talk about me, I want to draw your attention to this. God quickly goes to the motive, the heart of the matter, and he says, I'll tell you how to identify if you're posing or if you're real. The first point I want to make is this, that we have to realize that we exist for God and that God does not exist for us. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 5, it says, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. He says, look, I want you to look around you. And he said, I want you to turn away from those people who on the outside look like they know what they're doing, but on the inside, their motives show each and every time that they serve me. I was in Atlanta and had the opportunity to put together the first big Tony Hawk Boom Boom Huck Jam. If you have no idea what that is, that's okay, I'm going to tell you. The Boom Boom Huck Jam was Tony Hawk's big first attempt at taking what he thought was culture to the entire world, and he would bring concerts, and he would bring these guys, and we basically worked with three guys. It was Tony Hawk, and it was Jeremy McGrath, the famous uh, dirt bike rider, uh, who in the end of his career got into freestyle, and uh, and then uh, 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 BMX rider, I can't think of his name off the top of my head if I said it, you'd know it, but the three guys, and I remember as we're talking about this tour, and we're talking about going into Phillips Arena and doing this massive event, he said, let's meet up at the ESPN Skate Park, which was uh, 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 over in uh, uh, the uh, uh, East side of Atlanta, and we met over there and started talking. Of course, I wore my Vans and my Vans t-shirt. I mean, I had all the skate attire, and I also knew all the terminology. I mean, we we talked the talk. We walked the walk. I mean, we talked about all the great things that he did, and, and, uh, you know, I watched skate TV when I was a a, a teenage boy, and, and I could talk it, and I could walk it, but we went up on top of a a 20-foot vertical drop into a half pipe. And we're standing up there. And if, if, if you've never skated before, I, I don't even think you'd understand this, but, I mean, it's got like broken bones all written all over it. I mean, we're standing there, and he's got his skateboard. I mean, I got my shoes on. I got my shirt on. I mean, I look the part. But all of a sudden, there's a testing time. And there's a testing time when he says, hey, why don't you try it? And he flips me his skateboard. I'm telling you, it's got broken bones written all over it. And I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. All of a sudden, I had to identify myself for who I truly was. A poser. There's no way I'm going down that thing. You know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, no way, you do it. You're the champ, you know, like you do this thing. You know, I'll watch, I'll cheer you on, man. I'm I'm gonna put on my cheerleading outfit here in a second. I'm a a cheerleader, all right, I'm not a skater. And uh, he hops on it, goes down. You know, he's skating around the thing, comes back up, hands me the board, your turn. No way, I'm not doing that. The, uh, the uh, guy that was with us, I wish I could remember the guy that uh, rode uh, BMX. And uh, he, uh, uh, I think it was Dave Mira. Dave Mira, and he, 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 like, he he's like, I'll try it. I'm like, have you ever done it before? No, I've never done it before, I'll try it. I was like, all right. So he hops on the skateboard, he leans out over that 20 foot drop, goes down, And he he stands up, and I'm like, what in the world? So now I'm a poser, and I'm being called out by a guy that's never done it before, skates comes all the way back up, does it perfectly. I was like, I I gotta start a little lower. I'm not really that good, you know. I I gotta start a little lower. You know, so we go down. Then we go to the the eight-footer. I mean, the eight-footer is just, you know, like that tall. And you get up on top of that, and you're sitting there going, I'm not doing that either. There's no way, you know. And I said, ah, you know, I haven't skated in a long time. I'm sitting there thinking, man, not since I busted my elbow in my buddy's garage just trying to do an ollie, you know. And, uh, and, and he goes, well, what will you try? And I was like, I don't know. So he goes to the bathroom, right, and they're messing around. I hop on a skateboard, and there's, like, these little, like, humps, you know, like, in the, uh, in the, in the ESPN skate park thing. And I'm like, I hop on the board, you know, I, I couldn't even remember which foot went. I'm like, I don't know if I'm a goofy foot skater or, you know, anyways. So I'm like skating and I'm like, you know, like just going over the, and I was like, okay, I got to get off this thing. You know, like this is horrible. There's always a testing. There's always a testing. It's very interesting in this passage of scripture, he quickly goes to the motive. And the point that I made was this, we have to realize that we exist for God and He doesn't exist for us. We live our lives like it's ours. We don't live our life like it's His. We put up a veneer because we're so scared of the reality that somebody might look at us and say, are you really a Christian? I mean, what are you really doing this for? I mean, you, you're really serving people or are you serving yourself? We exist for God. I was playing golf with a guy, and I've told this story a lot of times, but there was a guy by the name of Jason Alexander, and, and uh, he uh, was on a, a sitcom, Seinfeld, a little short, fat, bald guy, hilarious, and we played golf all the time in Atlanta. He lived in a high rise, and we're, we're playing golf one day, and you've probably heard me st- tell the story 10 times, but we're playing golf one day, and uh, he's sitting in the cart. He tees off. He's waiting on me, and I'm talking to my wife on the phone. I'm just sitting there talking on the phone, asking how Skylar's doing. I'm just talking to her. It's having a good time. He's like, come on, let's go. I'm like, hold on a second. I walk over to the tree, tell my wife I love her, telling her how much I look forward to coming home to her. Then. all you know, just I love my wife. I love spending time with my wife. And, and that was evident on my phone call. And I, I sat down, uh, teed off, sat down on the cart, and he said, hold on a second. I mean, he's got tears running down his face. I said, what's the problem? He said, and I, this is completely honest, he said, I got a $3 million check sent at home. He said, $3 million. He said it was from the voiceover of the hunchback of Notre Dame. And he said, uh, he said, all I did was sit in front of a microphone and read a script, and they paid me $3 million for it. He said, I've got it sitting on my counter. He said, have you ever held a $3 million check? I said, no, I'd like to. You know, I, I'll come over and hold it for you, and I'll be your personal check holder. And uh, he was like, you ever seen one? I said, no. He said, I'll be honest with you. Tears running down his face. He said, I would give everything I have. I would trade you that check. He said, just to have what you have. He said, I'm not married. I don't have a kid. He said, I would give you everything. He said, we could walk. He said, if we could literally do that. He said, I'll trade you everything. He said, so that I could have what you have. I've been praying for an opportunity to witness to him. And boy, it was like the Holy Spirit just pricked me. He said, Eddie, everything you have. It's not because of you. For the next 20 minutes, I explained to him the fact that everything he saw was because of the goodness of God. It wasn't because of Eddie Wilson. It was because that God is good. And because God is good, I have a good life. He never accepted Jesus Christ that day, but guess what? He got a good witness because God was able to show himself through my life. Can I tell you that everything that you have is because of God, and everything that you exist, uh, and, and everything that you exist in is because of God, and everything that you have in success is because of God, and everything that you have in your pocket is because of God, and everything that you have in your body is because of God. And can I tell you that you only exist because of God? Because of God. We've got a problem in Christianity today. And the evangelical churches you go to, they preach that God is for you. And everything's about you. And if you get this, then God will do this for you. But guess what? We don't exist. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. I was reading a theology book a a couple of weeks ago, and, and he narrowed it down. He said that there's dog and cat theology. I liked it a lot. You ever heard of this dog and cat theology? He said a cat. He said, a cat has an owner, and the owner comes home, and the owner feeds him and pets him and, and, uh, and cleans him and, and does things for him, and he says, I must be God. He said, but a dog, a dog, he said, you come home, he said, the master cleans him, feeds him, pets him, does all this stuff, and he said, you must be God. Just because God does all of this great things, all these great things for you doesn't mean that you're God, it means that he's God. I think one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalms 23. Go to Psalms 23 real quick. Psalms 23. I mean, you probably got this on a mug or a cup or something, you know, but Psalms 23 and the part of Psalms 23 that we miss is this. Psalms 23, the famous Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It still sounds like he's for us. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Ooh, that's pretty good. I mean, God's serving me here. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Sounds like it's all for me. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Wow, it sounds like God exists for me. Until you get to the next little phrase. And that next little phrase takes all of that passage and shows you the direction of that passage. And it says, for his name's sake. He says, I lead you, I guide you, I clothe you, I help you. I am God, and it's all for my name's sake. You think it's for you. And it's for him. God exists for God. And we exist for God first point I want to make is that we have to realize that God exists for God, and he does not exist for us. Go back to Isaiah. Another phenomenal passage of scripture. Isaiah chapter number 43. Isaiah 43, verse number 7. He's just getting through the fact that he's identifying that Israel is stubborn. They're not turning from their ways. And in 43.7 he says, Even everyone that is called by my name. For I have created him. For my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes and the deaf that have ears. Let all nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. Ye are my witness, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen. That ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior, he says. He says, I exist for me. And you exist for me. And the reason that you exist is not just Uh, not just for you but you exist to become witnesses for me to show forth my glory and my power and honor me and tell the whole world not just by word but in deed and not just as a veneer but deep down inside that I exist for almighty God first first point I want to make is that we have to realize that we exist for God and he doesn't exist for us and number two is this go to Ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians 4, verse number 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and the and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what I love about this, pe- this, this passage of Scripture? is the fact that he says there's a measuring stick. He said Jesus Christ, he said, came in bodily form so that you can measure yourself. He tells us not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We're told not to measure ourselves one against another. He said, but I did give you Christ, and Christ existed so that you could look at him as a measuring stick. And the point number two that I want to make is this, that our true joy is found in Jesus Christ. Number one, we exist for God. God doesn't exist for us. And number two, our true joy is found in Jesus Christ but you have to go back to my first point and that is this, that he doesn't exist for us, we exist for him, so how do we find joy in him when he doesn't exist for us? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like that first stage of puppy love when you're dating and, and it's all about you or it's all about her and, and, uh, and you wanna make sure that they, they're focused on you and, and, and you think that that person now exists for you. But let me ask you this. Have you ever had somebody give you a present for Christmas and you didn't get them one? You ever had that? How horrible is that? When somebody takes the time and the effort. I, rem- I remember this girl I was dating one time. I didn't even know we were dating, you know, like, I, I, you know, just one of those things. And, uh, and uh, it wasn't my wife. I knew I was dating her. And uh, I didn't even know we were dating. You know, she obviously thought we were dating because, man, when it came to Christmas, I mean, she gave me like $400 worth of gifts. I was like, whoa, you know, like, what do you, what do, you do? You know, like, Merry Christmas, have a nice New Year. You know, like, I, I don't, I, you know, thanks for the gifts. But all of a sudden you feel horrible. You know, I, I, I remember, you know, when I was first married and my parents would still give those elaborate nice gifts and you didn't have the money to reciprocate. You know, I I have watched the joy this this year our our kids uh, the first year that they've actually both worked earned money. Uh, our oldest one has done this before, but both of them this year they both worked earned money and then bought others gifts. They bought my wife gifts. They bought me gifts. And uh, as small and as insignificant as they are, you watch them open that gift. On, I mean, when we opened that gift on Christmas morning, they sat there with just like, "Do you like it?" You know, like. I mean, I remember the thought process of them picking out, I mean, Skyler picked out a mug for mom, this big mug. He's like, she loves coffee, so let's get her a big mug. And had this definition of mom on it. You know, we're like on Amazon, you know, the only way to shop. And, uh, you know, we're like shopping online. Who goes to stores anymore? And, uh, and so, you know, we're like reading it, and and he's like, that's mom. Like, that's the perfect definition of mom. I've got to get that. He said, do you have that much money? Yeah. I got to get it so okay let's order so we ordered it and i remember she opened up a coffee mug it's it's insignificant he watched her open that coffee mug he watched her and he was excited and he was passionate and he couldn't wait for her to read the words not just that it was a mug but it had a significance to it he wanted to he wanted to look at it and, and appreciate it for all the thought that he put into it she read it and said mom had a great definition of mom you know one that puts herself before you, or before uh, puts herself, uh, uh, you know, prefers you over her, that type of thing, G- gives you kind of that Proverbs definition of a of a woman and and uh, and uh, the good woman, not the bad woman, and uh, you know, and 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 so you know, it's it, it's a great definition. Yeah, what kind of mug is that? And uh, and uh, so she uh, she looks at it. He's excited. He's watching her. I mean, she pulls it out. She's reading it. He's more excited about the gift than she is. I mean, like, he's pumped up. I mean, he's like, did you read it? Yeah, I read it. It's awesome. Love you. Thank you. Hugs him. Yeah, but did you really read it? I mean, like, did, did you understand it? I mean, did you get it? You know, it d- you know, do you understand how I feel about you because I bought this for you? God puts up this measuring stick. And we say, you know what? That's so we can look and determine how much he's going to do for me. I mean, Christianity is all about me. I mean, give me joy. Give me happiness. Give me the things that I need. Give me the things that I want. Give me the position that I need. God, do all this for me because I'm your child. We forget that he exists not for us. We for him. And as we give to him, as we constantly focus on Him, our joy is found in the gifts as we measure ourselves and we die daily in Romans chapter 12 as we look at at ourselves and we say, how much more can I be like the image of Christ? And, And we work towards it and we give it to Him as a sacrifice. He's pumped up about it. But can I tell you there's something great about giving yourself as a sacrifice to God and the real joy is when you give it to Him and you're like, Do you like it? I mean, I'm excited about the service I get to do. I mean, where's that in Christianity today? I mean, where's that in the pews today? I mean, where's that on the bus route today? Well, you're like out there, and you're like, this is for you. This is for you, God. This isn't for me. I love you. Let me present myself to you. Real joy is found in Jesus Christ. Real joy is found in Jesus Christ. Our truth joy is found in Jesus Christ last point I want to make is this you know I I look around the room and I like a lot of Christians find myself miserable sometimes what a horrible example of Christianity a miserable person is you know the one that's suffering and It's, bless God I'm you know going through a trial you know you know it's been really hard living this Christian life You know, I'm excited about God, but boy, this is tough. You think that's what God wants out of you? God wants you to show the picture of real joy. Or you don't care about the infirmity, you don't care about the struggle, you don't care about the suffering, you look at it like Paul and you say, you know what, I glory in the suffering because in that suffering I'm able to give back to God and that's where my real joy is found because I'm giving Him that gift and I'm excited for Him to open it and I'm excited for Him to accept it. The third point I want to make is this, find and celebrate your uniqueness in Christ and live it. You know, I'm not talking about holding hands and celebrating good times. I'm talking about celebrating who you are in Jesus Christ. You know, I, I, I read that quick little excerpt that I wrote about the plastic people, Barbie and, Joe, or Barbie and Ken and Joe, because we think that posers are where it's at. You think about how hard you work to keep up an image I think about how hard I worked as a teenager keeping up the image of a skater when there was no skater inside of this guy. But I worked hard at keeping up the image. had a friend one day, we're sitting in his garage. He had a Nintendo set up in his garage, had our skater stuff on, skateboards laying on the garage floor. We're playing the original skateboard game for Nintendo. And he looked at me and he said, you suppose, do you suppose if we spent as much time working hard at our image, playing this video game, actually trying to ride the skateboard, we would actually be decent? It's like, nah, let's keep playing, you know? <laughs> it just never dawned on us. You put in so much time to constantly build up the facade. To constantly keep the image. I mean, God forbid somebody actually know who we are. That's a sinner saved by grace. I mean, God forbid that we actually let our true colors show and we actually have to point to Jesus Christ as if he's doing it through our life. I mean, God forbid that. I mean, God forbid somebody actually find out that we're worthless and we're nothing without him. You like I. Work so hard at that image. We're Isaiah being lived out in 2013. not, Not Isaiah, but the passage in Isaiah. Living it out. We're going through the routines. We're giving our time. We're witnessing to people. Is it possible? Is it possible that you work so hard and that you put in all your time and that you do all the right things God still looks at you and says, Sodom and Gomorrah, wow. I will tell you this, 1 Timothy 4.14, he talks about not neglecting that gift inside of us, and then he goes on and he says, meditate on that gift. You know, I'm all all for working on your strengths, but I'm going to tell you this, and I'm all for you correcting your weaknesses, I'm going to tell you, all of us are made of clay. Every one of us have issues. Every one of us are not worthy. I mean, if you really knew who I was, they would have a security guard standing outside. If I told everything that I've ever done or you told everything that you've ever done, they would have security guards. And, uh, and, the, and there would be like, Brother Froelke in here. That's it. I mean, they'd be like, stop it. No one else comes in, you know? That's it. We know what you've done. You're out. Actually, Mrs. Froelke, not Brother Froelke. But... Uh, No, no one comes in. We're a bunch of plastic people living a fake Christianity. And I'm all for fake it till you make it, and that's good preaching and all, but guess what? That's not the Christianity I want. Can I tell you the times that I've taught my son the best lessons in life? And that is when I've failed, and I've admitted to my failure, and I've shown him that somebody can overcome failure. It's not me saying, hey, guess what? Look at this guy. Look how good this guy is. Isn't God good that he got me? No, it's me saying to my son, man, I'm I'm a failure. I'm worthless, and I'm sorry that I let you down. I'm sorry that I let mom down. I'm sorry that I let God down. But guess what? Just man rises up. we're all unworthy why don't you take that facade off why don't you take that plastic face off why don't you take off what you call real Christianity and let's get deep down into the heart of where it really is and why don't you discover today why don't you let the Holy Spirit in and say I don't know if I'm real or not I got saved and, and I'm here because I believe it's God's will but I don't know if I'm real I don't know if I'm doing it for you, if I'm doing it for me. And Paul dies daily. I believe he constantly went to God and he said, God, boy, I would do a lot of great things. I got to lay them all before you because I got to die daily because it feels so much better just to put on the facade and put on the veneer. We need to quit wondering we're going to go fit in this big world. Who's going to call you? Who's going to give you an opportunity? Who's going to make the phone call to you? Who's going to be that person that sees your value? Who's going to be the person that says, oh, I recognize what's great inside of you, and so I want you to come work for me. I want you to come be a part of me. It's time we stop looking at ourselves. And we start... We start reveling in the fact that God is so good that he gifted all of us. I mean, there's specific gifts that he gave to us and he says that they all fit greatly inside of the body and he talks about how the, in that body there's no insignificant part. And he says, man, if everybody's an ear, then where's then the seeing? And if everybody's an eye, then where's the hearing? I mean, God says, I, I gifted you, I made you, I want you to serve me for my purpose and I want to glory in you. But you know what? As Christians... We're constantly looking at that one job, that one position that we want that ultimately says who we really are, that identifies the the real true us so that everybody can see how great we are and how good we are. God just wants a bunch of people that says, I exist for you, God. I'm only going to measure myself against you because my true joy is found in you. And whatever you give me, whatever gift, whatever skill, whatever ability, whatever affinity, God, I'm going to give it back to you. And I'll let you place me. I'm going to let you put me in your will. I'm going to let you get the glory. I'm going to stop hogging all of it. God exists for God. And you exist for God. And true joy is found in God. And then God gifted you so that you can turn back around and glorify Him with your actions and your service and your abilities to edify the body, to, to build up that local church. We're all worried about being a poser. We're all worried about the facade. That day I stood there with Tony Hawk and I enjoyed that day. I still have the autographs, still have the pictures, still, I mean, it was a great day. The first big Tony Hawk, Boom Boom Huck Jam we put on at Phillips Arena, I mean, thirty there's 20, probably 20,000 people there and you're watching and you're thinking, man, this is great. But i tell you what, I watched it with a very different eye after I was found out for who I really was. I understood that the only reason those people came to that arena that day was because of him, his ability, his skill. Because there was a testing time for me where I had to look at that test and go, whew, this is gonna reveal who I really am. and Who I really am is gonna end up in the hospital if I attempt what he just told me to attempt. And let me tell you, last thing in closing, this. Can I tell you why Christians drop out of the ministry every single day? Can I tell you why when you get the most phenomenal opportunity in history you're most apt to, to make the worst decision of your life and run from it can i tell you why you will be scared to death and some of you will bail out when god presents that opportunity that you've been waiting for I'll tell you why because of the near it's a facade you pull that back there's nothing there. Holy Spirit of God, would you look inside of us? Look inside of me, Father. You know I'm unworthy. Worthy to even stand here, God. Would you take all of the facade the veneer away? God, would you help me to serve you out of a heart? It's filled with gratitude measuring myself against you. Trying to become more like you. Sacrificing in every way I know how in order to attain that. God, but pull away the veneer of Christianity today. Helps to get away from all of the traditions and the facade and the junk. According to Isaiah, makes you sick. May we serve you. Jesus' name.